0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So God willing, today, uh, as I said um, in the announcements in the liturgy, it has been exactly one year since we've uh, had this meeting, so I'm glad that we can start it again, and I'm glad to see you all here. Um, God willing, today we're going to start a short series um, during the Great Fast uh, about the Desert Fathers, okay? Does anyone can tell me who the Desert Fathers are? Who are the Desert Fathers? They were fathers that lived in the desert? Monks? Yeah, they were monks, yeah. What else? When did they live? Hmm. When did they live? So there's a period of time, okay, where there's certain people right at the very beginning of monasticism okay that they so so how did this start how did monasticism start what was kind of the catalyst for monasticism do you know anybody know yeah saint anthony yes so saint anthony was like who we consider the father of the monks he was the first one who really went out kind of left behind everything sold all his possessions he went out into the desert and he kind of established uh kind of like a a way of life that other people followed after him yes okay but kind of what was uh kind of the the beginning of the movement of monasticism so there was um, a long period of time of persecution for christians okay but at the time of emperor constantine emperor constantine he legalized christianity right and he made christianity to be the official religion of the empire and when he did that, that was in uh, 313, 313 AD. When he did that, now the persecution stopped, okay, right? Because now Christianity is accepted everywhere. And a lot of people felt like the, the gain, the benefits, if you can imagine, the benefits that they had by, through the persecution, kind of like they didn't have it anymore. Like, you know, we are always talking about how we want religious freedom and we want to be able to to worship God according to the way that we see is appropriate, right? Which is a good thing, definitely. But at the time, the people felt like through persecution, through suffering with Christ, this is actually how they felt the closest to God. They felt in union with God because they were suffering for the sake of Christ. They were carrying the cross of Christ. They were deciding to suffer and to accept all the suffering for their faith, Right? And they were willing willing to go and even be martyred and to die for Christianity, okay? For their faith. So what happened at the time when Christianity became legal and the persecution dropped is there were some people who thought to themselves, you know, we want to continue to live a life of suffering. We want to continue to live a life of, of like that is difficult, where we have to sacrifice, where we have to give up something, where we feel like we are You know, always under pressure so that we turn to God more and we feel like we are living only by the grace of God and not living by, you know, the comforts of the world. So that is the time when the monastic movement began. In the whole world, right? This is the time when the monastic movement began and people began to leave like the civilized areas, the big cities and so on, and give up their possessions and give up the things that they had and leave their families in order so that they would go and live kind of in isolation and seclusion, whether it be as hermits, completely isolated only by themselves, or whether in like monastic communities where it was like a group of people living together um, in the desert in the form of like a monastery, right? Which came, which came after. So the Desert Fathers are this group of, both fathers and mothers actually, there were women as well, who, who were these people who went out like during this time, like in, in the, in the, uh, like in the early church, right? In the third and fourth centuries that left everything to go and um, live in seclusion, isolation in the desert, okay? What do we learn from them? There is a rich set of writings about their life. And when you read, uh, you know, about them, you find that the way that they lived was actually very different than anything we can imagine right and the kind of things that happened to them were very different than maybe we can imagine so when you read their writings you find that they are very rich in spirituality they are very rich in in the teaching of the christian faith they you know performed the commandments of god to its fullness to its fullest they didn't have any worldly distractions they spent all their time praying and working the idea of performing miracles, of seeing visions, of seeing angels, of seeing demons, this was like commonplace for them. Like to, For them, this was normal daily life. The things that maybe we look at and we think these are exceptional cases and miracles and amazing things, to them, this was normal life, right? This was truly the spiritual warfare to where, like for instance, St. Anthony, who was the, you know, the, the first to really go out and to establish this form of life, like he would literally be attacked by demons physically they would physically beat him right and he continued and he endured in this life and through the grace of God he was able to have a victory over them so when we read their writings and and we're going to feature just a very very small i mean amount of their writings that I'm going to talk to you about today and in the coming weeks well, when you read their writings okay we should be careful that we are not trying we 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 shouldn't think that the way that these people are living is the only right way to live, okay? Or, that, or the things that they are saying literally apply to us, exactly as it's said. Why? Think of like an Olympic athlete. Let's say you are, 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 you know, are, are, are an athlete, you know, not at the Olympic level. You're just you know, a regular person, and you're trying to run and to, to be as fast as a runner as you can. When you compare yourself to the Olympic athlete, Okay, the Olympic athlete is a much higher level than maybe we are. We try to do things at a basic level, at at a level that we are able to do. So if you hear Olympic athletes talking amongst themselves about the type of rigorous training that they do, and the speed by which they can run, and how kind of um, harsh they are on themselves in order for them to train to be able to run at that level, we don't expect that we ourselves are going to be able to do what they're doing, right? we understand what they're saying in the context of who they are, on their achievements, on their capabilities, okay? The same is true when we read about the desert fathers and mothers, because when we read what they say, sometimes it can sound like very, very harsh, be like essentially that unless we are completely perfect, we have no salvation. Like, it can almost sound like that sometimes. But we shouldn't take those things literally, right? Think about who it is that they're speaking to. They never expected that the things that they were going to say are going to be shared with everybody in the world, even 2,000 years later, right? They never thought that these words are going to be for the public consumption. They are saying these things to one another, to benefit one another, to keep as like Olympic spiritual athletes, to push themselves to the limit. So we can glean from them a lot of spiritual benefit but we have to take it in a balanced way to understand the principle of what they are saying and not to take it literally. Because if you try to take what the Desert Fathers say literally, we're going to be trying to push ourselves to a limit that's maybe not possible for us at the spiritual level that we are. Okay? Another important thing about them is these were not preachers. You know, Their, their teaching was not through preaching. Their teaching was not because they would stand and give long sermons about theological concepts. Their teaching was through very simple sayings that demonstrate a depth of spirituality and understanding of God and the way they live their life is the teaching. And the kinds of things that happen to them is the teaching. So that's what makes them so special. Our world is filled with a lot of people who say a lot of things, right? A lot of words, and they say, what talk is cheap. A lot of words. And everybody has a different thing to say. And in the end, the power of words is very minimal. But when you see these things played out in the de- lives of the Desert Fathers, you see that there is indeed power in them. Sketus. You'll hear this word. And oftentimes in the synexarian when you hear the synexarian is being read, you hear this term sketus, or it's also known as Shehit. Okay? This is the wilderness. This is different places in Egypt, okay, that were like centers of monasticism. And one of the places, okay, here you can see on the map the one that says Sketus. This is a lot of the fathers who we read about who are in this uh, Sketus. There's other places uh, called Nitria and Kelia, right? But one of the most famous places, again, you'll hear about in the Synxerium is called uh, Sketus. It's also called Wedil Natrun okay if you've heard that term before in arabic this is also Sketus, the wilderness mm. of shihit so who was one of the, the greatest um monks and desert fathers that we read about his name is saint macarius the great there are other macariuses so if you read about in the synexarian or about the church saints there is more than one macarius but the, the macarius that i'm talking about here is we call him uh, saint macarius the great um, he was born in uh, 300 A.D., and he was a camel driver, and he was one of the pioneers of this monastic movement in this area of Scytis. He was ordained as a priest and lived as an anchorite in a village until he was falsely blamed for impregnating a girl. It was a girl who had a relationship with another man, and when she was found out that she was pregnant, this man was not her husband, she got in trouble, so she blamed St. Macarius and said about him that he is the father of the child. right? And so the family of the girl and all the people there at the time were blaming Saint Macarius. And they said that this man is a fraud. He is not a holy man at all. Uh, and they demanded that he financially take care of this girl. Uh, but in the end, it was discovered that this was all f- false. Actually, what happened is when the girl uh, came to give birth, she had very extraordinary birth pains. In labor, and she just she didn't give birth. It was just that the labor was continuous. It was just nonstop, and then she realized that God was doing this to her because she had falsely blamed this holy monk, and so then she confessed that what she was what had happened is that it wasn't Saint Macarius who impregnated her, and then everything um, kind of was revealed. So I'm going to speak a little bit about some of the sayings of Saint Macarius. Um, Saint Macarius was speaking about satanic temptation, and like I said the things that happen to these desert fathers and mothers are very uh, special because of their holiness because of their asceticism because they live out in the desert and the satan satan wars against them constantly you know maybe for many of us like we're already you know in the world we're already so distracted by the world we're not really on satan's radar right so much because he already is like doing such a great job tempting us all the time these holy men and women, because they had renounced the world, they had renounced everything, and that there was so few ways that they could actually be tempted. Right, The temptation of the eyes, they didn't see anything around them. The temptation of the flesh, they barely ate anything at all, and any time they ate, they only ate like bread and salt and water, and that was it. So all the means by which the devil tempts us so easily was not accessible with these men and women. So he would increase his temptation through physical means, and they would physically see the devil and physically see the demons, and he would war against them in all kinds of different ways. And for that reason, when they write down these stories for us to read and understand, we can understand and get some insight into the way that the devil operates because of the stories and the things that they say. So I'm going to read this passage about this story that happened with St. Macarius, and then we can talk about it briefly. So it says, when Amba Macarius dwelt in the great desert, he was the only one living as an anchorite. So an anchorite can mean two things. An anchorite can mean a monk who lives in seclusion. Okay, That can be an anchorite, as opposed to living in a community of monks. An anchorite can also mean, in some cases, uh, a monk who has been given a special spiritual gift, which allows him to kind of transport himself from one place to the other instantly. And this, like I said, these kinds of things were not uncommon, okay, among the desert fathers. That because of there was no transportation for them, God would allow them to, like, move from place to place. So in Arabic, it's called suwah, okay? In English, it, it can be called anchorite. But technically, the, the name anchorite is referring to anyone living in seclusion, okay? He was the only one living as an anchorite. But lower down, there was another desert where several brothers dwelt. The old man was surveying the road. Old man is referring to St. Macarius. The old man was surveying the road when he saw Satan drawing near in the likeness of a man, and he passed by his dwelling. So a very, very common thing. He's seeing Satan come by, okay, looking like a man. He seemed to be wearing some kind of cotton garment full of holes and a small flask hung at each hole. The old man said to him, where are you off to? He said, I am going to stir up the memories of the brethren. So the the devil is talking about how he is going to tempt the the other monks. Like in St. Macarius, because of his holiness, is actually having a conversation with the devil, and the devil is telling him what is it that he's about to do. The old man said, and what is the purpose of these small flasks? He replied, I am taking food for the brethren to taste. The old man said, all those kinds? He replied, yes. For if a brother does not like one sort of food, I offer him another. And if he does not like the second any better, I offer him a third. And of all the varieties, he will will like one at least. With these words, he departed. So what do you think this means? Like what kind of food is he offering? Is he actually going to give them physical food? Someone said something? Temptations something appetizing, something that it's like to me, it's like I'm consuming something, right? This is the way the devil is thinking. I have all this armament, all these weapons of my warfare that I am going to a person and I offer him one. And if this one doesn't work, I offer him another one. And if that one doesn't work, I offer him a third one. And this is the way that he was tempting all of these monks who were living in the desert. The old man remained watching the road, until he saw him coming back again when the old man saw him he said to him good health to you the other replied how can i be in good health the old man asked him what he meant and he replied because they all opposed me and no one received me the old man said ah you did not find any friends down there he replied yes i have a monk who is a friend down there he at least obeys me when he sees me he changes like the wind what does that mean So the, the devil is coming back and he's like, not happy. And then Amber Macarius says, why are you not happy? He says, well, nobody is, nobody is accepting me. Everyone is, is resisting my temptation, except for one. He is a friend of mine. Because when I go, he changes like the wind. What do you think changes like the wind means? He's easily tempted. And he changes. You can think of like us who change. When I am at church and I'm meditating on the things of God and I'm listening to the, the, the word of God and I'm praying and I'm taking communion, I'm one way. Sincerely, sincerely, I am one way. I feel like this is what I'm doing is the most important thing. To me, the priority of being in the house of God and praying to God and, and placing God as the number one thing in my life, truly, sincerely, this is who I am in that moment. But then what happens when we go outside? and we begin to remember and we begin to see and we begin to consume things and we begin to be immersed in the world that is outside and then very gradually or maybe very quickly like here he is saying he changes like the wind our values change our priorities change our actions change our thoughts change everything changes right so we find ourselves almost like different people right depending on where we are and this is what here the devil is saying this is his this is his toolkit Right? Like in the sermon, we talked about how the devil is predictable and he has this certain means of temptation. Right? This is his toolkit. He's saying, I'm going there and he's changing. He's my friend because he accepts me. When I, when I go to him, he's receptive. Right, He's receptive to me. The old man asked him the name of this monk, Theopem- uh, Theopemptus, he replied. With these words, he went away. Then Abba Macarius got up and went to the desert below his own. When they heard of it, the brothers took branches of palm to go to meet him. Each one got ready, thinking that it was to him the old man was coming down. So Amba Macarius is a very famous man, right? And all the other uh, brothers and monks, they're very excited. Amba Macarius is coming to visit us. And each one went to him, hoping that Amba Macarius was actually coming to see him personally. But he inquired which was the one on the mountain called Theopemptus. And when he had found out, he went to his cell. Theopemptus received him with joy. When he was alone with him, the old man asked him, How are you getting on? Theopemptus replied, Thanks to your prayers, all goes well. So he's like trying to bring out of him, you know, for him to confess and to talk about what's been happening, because the devil revealed to him that he has been successful in tempting him, right? But just as many of us do often, we don't really answer this question of how are you with any kind of substance. We, we just say, yeah, everything's good, I'm fine. Or maybe everything is not fine, right? So St. So Macarius knows that he has to do something in order to bring out, like from inside of this monk, everything that's been happening with him. The old man asked, do not your thoughts war against you? He replied, up to now it is all right, for he was afraid to admit anything. The old man said to him, see how many years I have lived as an ascetic, and I am and praised by all. And though I am old, the spirit of fornication troubles me. Upemta said, Believe me, Abba, it is the same with me. The old man went on admitting that other thoughts still warred against him until he brought him to admit them about himself. See, Abba Macarius was very wise, right? He knew that this monk was not going to just tell him and confess to him everything that he had been doing because he was afraid that if he does, then maybe Abba Macarius is going to reject him. Maybe he's going to say about him, how can you be a monk and you have these thoughts and you do these things? How can you how can you call yourself even to be a monk? But this wasn't Ember Macarius at all. And this isn't the way that God operates. He doesn't come to us and say, how could you be such and such while you still suffer from these sins and these thoughts and these temptations and so on? No, actually, God wants us to confess our sins, right, right? And to continue serving him, to continue working, continue being in the position that we are, but confessing our sins to him. So Amba Macarius was very clever, okay? Then he said, how do you fast? He replied till the ninth hour. No, this is, yeah. He said, how do you fast? He replied till the ninth hour. Practice fasting a little later. Meditate on the gospel and the other scriptures, and if an alien thought arises within you, never look at it, but always look upwards, and the Lord will come at once to your help. When he had given the brother this rule, the old man then returned to his solitude. So having now heard, you know, all of the kind of the, the, the temptations that he's been experiencing, all the sins that he's been committing, all oh, he gives him now a spiritual rule. This spiritual rule is a rule that's designed to help him to learn self-control. This is why in the church, for instance, when we fast, why are we fasting? We're not fasting because abstaining from food is good. You know, it's not like certain foods are evil. And if we abstain from those foods, then that makes us holy, right? This is why we always say that fasting is not just about changing our food. Fasting teaches us self-control. Because if I can control myself in something that my body desires, like food, even though food is, is not bad, then I learn to control myself in other things which are bad, right? I can, I can learn to, con- to control myself in sinful things. And this is what St. Macarius advised him to do. He told him, control yourself, you know, be more ascetic, Abstain longer, pray more, do these things. Okay, so now this monk is receptive to hearing from him this because he feels like this is going to benefit him. He was watching the road once more. So, Amba Macarius is now back to where he was and he's watching the road where he saw the devil before. So, he was watching the road once more when he saw the devil to whom he said, Where are you going this time? He replied, To arouse the memories of the brothers. Right, so like before. The devil is going again to tempt the brothers. And he went away. When he came back, the saint asked him, how are the brothers? He replied that it had gone badly. The old man asked him why. He replied, they are all obdurate or stubborn. And the worst is the, is the one friend I had who used to obey me. I do not know what has changed him, but, only does, but not only does he not obey me anymore, but he has become the most obdurate of them all. So I have promised myself not to go down there again, at least not for a long time from now. When he had said this, he went away, leaving the old man, and the saint returned to his cell. So this example of this story teaches us something about the devil, teaches us something about how to fight against him, teaches us something about confession, right? This is a model of someone who was struggling and failing in sin and falling in sin, and then that same person who began to be successful, and, and what was the devil's response? Once he saw that this person began to be successful, he left him. You know, the day in the gospel reading, the, the devil tempted Christ three times. And Christ was successful all three times in resisting the temptation. And so the devil left him. There is a story also um, about a monk who was uh, living uh, in a monastery, but he was sneaking out of the monastery every night to have a physical relationship with a woman who was living in a nearby village. And this monk was very sad. Every time he fell into this sin, he would go and he would confess this sin to his uh, father of confession in the monastery, like with with sincerity. But the fight against him was very strong, and he continued to fall into this sin for 15 years. You can imagine, 15 years. And you can imagine what a monk would feel like, saying, oh, I'm supposed to be this holy and righteous monk. And yet I'm going and I'm sneaking out of the monastery and I'm doing this for such a long time. um, And this war against me is so strong. After 15 years, the devil appeared to him and he told him, I'm going to stop fighting you because you are benefiting more from your persistent repentance and confession than I am successful in causing you to fall. So you are actually benefiting from my temptation. And so I'm going to stop completely fighting against you. This tells us also something about the devil and the way the devil works. If he sees that we are continuous in repentance and that we are continuous in confession and that we continually struggle, even though we might still fail, even though we are still weak and we struggle, but if he sees us get up again and again and again, then after a while, he he leaves us alone, right? And this here is what happened here to this monk. It might take a long time, right? But this here is what happened to this monk. It's something we can learn from this story. So what do we learn? We learn that the devil is active, right? He is, you know, the Bible says about him that he is like a roaring lion, like roaming around, seeking whom he may devour. Like he is looking for someone to attack. He is not idle. Like he did not get to this stage. If you look at the amount of sin in the world, the corruption in the world, the, 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 the twisted truth, the, all the corruption in the world... You don't get to be like this without the devil being extremely active, extremely clever, and extremely powerful, right? He is active. We, sadly, are often not active. We, we, we tend to become lazy. We tend to kind of be very um, relaxed and, and, and lax in our spiritual rule. We are not always protecting ourselves, you know? We let things in that we shouldn't allow in. Imagine you are in your house, and you have, like, this gang of thugs, right, that come to your door, and they're like pounding on your door, and then they want to come into your house. None of us would open the door. Like, we would be very careful, right? We would call the police. We would make sure the doors are locked. Like, we do everything to prevent these people from coming into our house. But from a spiritual perspective, right, we go up to that door, and we open the door, and we let the thugs in, right? Every time we seek after sinful things, that's kind of like what we're doing. We know that something is wrong, and yet we go to it, and we allow it into us even though we know that it will damage us the devil is successful in what he does right he is very active and he is very crafty he's very deceptive right he knows how to trick us he knows how to tempt us to offer us something that is alluring so that we go after it also the devil knows what will make us fall he knows exactly for each person what is the greatest weakness that they have and he offers it to us at a time when we are the most vulnerable fasting helps us to 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 repel him helps us to resist him because if i learn self-control then i i realize that the devil is active and crafty and knows my vulnerabilities and so even though he is calling me with the kind of attractive voice for me i learn to push him away and i say no i'm not going to listen to this voice this voice is lying to me this voice is not true i can resist him i can overcome him we learn these kinds of things by reading the stories of the desert fathers because it it it, pers- it personalizes what is otherwise completely a spiritual thing. You know, we think about the spiritual things. We think about the devil is spirit, right? But for the church fathers, you see that, like these desert fathers, that the devil physically appeared and attacked them, and you can understand kind of the way the devil works from these stories. Um, another uh, example. We're actually out of time. <laughs> um, Maybe we can actually do this one next week, Um, but uh, we can continue on talking about a lot of these different stories from the the Desert Fathers, Um, just to give you an idea of where to find these stories. If you're interested to read um, a lot of these stories um, and sayings of the Church Fathers, there's a book called The Sayings of the Desert Fathers, which has a lot of these stories there's many of the fathers right Um, and then there's another book that's actually read by monks in the monastery so actually if you go to the monastery um, during the times of eating when the monks are eating one of the monks will be reading from a book called the paradise of the fathers the paradise of the fathers is also a book that has many of the stories of the desert fathers and of of the monks um, and the idea is is that even while we are eating food, which is kind of like a time when we're like indulging ourselves because we're eating something that's like tasty and, and kind of something that we want. We are, we are instead of focusing on like the, the, the pleasure of eating, we are focusing on the kind of the, 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 the word of like, like, like the, to, to be careful, to be aware by, by reading all these stories of the Desert Fathers and we learn from them how we should be self-controlled and and so on. So God willing, next time we'll continue um, and and continue some of these fathers and and other fathers as well. Um, And so may God grant us the wisdom to kind of uh, learn all of the things we can from these fathers. Any questions before we conclude? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day, and we thank you because you have given us through the church uh, a, a means and a system for fasting to control ourselves, to learn how is it that we can be self-controlled, so that we can resist the devil and resist the sin that he offers us. We ask, O God, that during the time of this great fast, specifically, that you teach us how to be self-controlled and you allow us to take our spiritual life seriously and that we do not continue to live a life of laxness and a life of separation from you, but to approach you closer and closer, be united with you and to taste your goodness and to experience your love and warmth in a way that we never have before. We thank you, God, for the church. We thank you for every opportunity you give us to serve you and to learn more about you and to experience your love. Teach us your ways and help us, O oh God, to be fruitful in our service and in our life through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven. Hear daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power and the glory forever and ever. Amen the love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.